more than a song. talking about grace and how grace is greater than anything that can come against us. Uh, grace is greater than our sin along with the guilt and the shame that go with that. Uh, grace is greater than the brokenness that we all experience at times in our life. And this morning I, I want us to understand that grace is greater than our weaknesses. Now this is not a popular topic. Um, no one wants to talk about their weaknesses. Uh, we live in a country that celebrates strength, 
We celebrate achievement. We celebrate ability, accomplishment. Um, we, we emphasize strength and we devalue and try to hide or cover up weakness. Um, especially as, as a guy. I remember when, when I was growing up, um, you didn't show vulnerability. <laughs> you know, when, when we got around as, as kids together, one kid would say, well, I can do this. And inevitably, well, I, I can do it twice as fast. Well, I can do it twice as long. And, and we kind of had a standing rule that we never actually made anybody prove anything. You know, we could all make our boastful declarations of how good we were at something, and nobody had to really prove it. Because if we had, we would have shown our weakness. I mean, I was taught as a child, you put your best foot forward. You know, you always show people your strengths. How many times uh, do we either receive or give the standard greeting, hi, how are you? And we get the answer back, I'm fine, I'm good, when you're anything but fine or good. In fact, if you want to have fun with somebody, the next time somebody casually in passing says, hey, Jim, how are you? Say, oh, you wouldn't believe it. And just take the next 15 minutes and regale them with every possible illness, ailment, ache, pain you can come up with. Next time they'll just go, Jim Hester, oh my God, I, uh, I don't want to say hi to him, he'll, he'll talk me to death. Because, um, you know, let's be honest, when we do that, do we really want to know? Do we really want people to stop and tell us how they're not fine? How they're not good? Do we want them to expose their weaknesses? Not really. And they don't want to do that. Because that's not part of who we are. Not part of our, our human nature to do that. But here's the thing. God's grace works better in weakness than it does in strength. If I operate out of my strengths, I become self-reliant, I become self-confident, I become self-assured and independent. And you notice the, the common thread through all those? It's me. It's all on me. I'm operating out of my strengths. It's all me. And God can't do a lot with that. Frankly, God has to sit back and say, well, okay. I really could do a whole lot more through you than you can do yourself, but if that's how you choose to live your life, you have that right. But it's when we are keenly aware of our weakness, when we are open to our vulnerabilities, that God is able to say, okay, I can work with that. Because I'm not self-reliant, I'm dependent on Him. Rather than saying, I've got this, I have to admit, I don't have this. In fact, I don't even have a clue how to handle this. I need you. See, weakness creates the space for grace to operate in our lives. Let me give you a couple of good biblical examples. There was Moses. Moses met God on, at the burning bush. And God said, Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now, if he'd operated out of his strengths, Moses would have got up and said, you got it. 
I'm heading to Egypt now, and I'm going to walk right into Pharaoh and say, Hey, Pharaoh, let him out of here. But that's not what Moses did. He immediately became aware of his weaknesses. And he said, But, but God, God, you know, I... Man, I don't even talk good. <laughs> I, I, when I get nervous, I start stumbling over myself, and, and, and I, I can't do that. I will be with you, God told him. He said, but, but God, I, I'm nobody. I mean, who am I? I'm going to walk in before Pharaoh and say, I am Moses. I'm going to walk up to the Israelites and say, I'm your deliverer. They're going to say, well, who are you? You've been a shepherd for 40 years, for crying out loud. You smell like sheep. Go take a bath. Uh, he said, I, but I am with you. But God, to be honest, you and I aren't even that close. <laughs> uh, I don't even know your name. What Am I supposed to go? To Pharaoh and say, uh, um, God, what's his name? Uh, demands that you let his people go. I, I don't know you. But I will be with you. See, for every weakness that he expressed, God had grace to counter it. Look at Gideon. The Israelites were uh, being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Midianites had a pretty cool system. We're going to let the Israelites plant the crop, cultivate the crop, harvest the crop, and then we're going to steal it. So you do all the work, you raise all the food, and we'll steal it and eat it. That was a pretty good system. If you were a Midianite, if you're an Israelite, it was bad. And God said, I'm going to go get me a champion. We're going to raise up an army, and we're going to kick the Midianites out. And he shows up one day to Gideon. And Gideon's hiding in a wine press because it's kind of in the ground. And he could put his grain in there and you could just see him. He's like this. Looking for Midianites while he's threshing out his grain. And Gabriel shows up, the angel Gabriel, and says, Gideon, mighty man of God, you are chosen. And he goes, is there another Gideon around here? Who are you talking to? I'm hiding from the Midianites. You, lead these people to freedom. Gabriel, you don't understand. I am the, the least of my family. And my family is the least of our clan. And my clan is the least of our tribe. I'm just a nobody. I can't do that. And Gabriel said, we know. If you thought you could do it, we couldn't use you. But because you know you can't, you will. See, grace operates in the arena of our weakness, not in our strength. You know, a lot of things can weaken us. Uh, you can be physically weak. Illness, injury can weaken you. You can be emotionally weak. You can have broken relationships in your life that you're really struggling with. Um, you can have setbacks, frustrations, failure. They all cause us to be weak. Um, and they all force us to God. But we have to get there first. This is, I'm kind of telling you all this to set the stage for what Paul was dealing with when he went to Corinth. The city of Corinth 
was a very modern city in the first century. It had both Greek and Roman influences. It had culture. It had music, art. Basically, think of L.A. or New York City. Corinth was the L.A. or New York City of the ancient world. And they also, like today, valued strength and achievement and power and prestige and despised weakness. <laughs> so if you were weak, you better hide it, cover it up, or you weren't getting anywhere. And, and Paul went into that and said, I've got to preach the gospel. I've got to bring them to the point that they know their need for God. So they will turn to Christ and receive him. And he decided the best way to do that was to go along with them. So if you read 2 Corinthians 11, Paul decides, I'm going to boast a little bit about how strong I am. Uh, he's, he's writing to mostly uh, Jewish uh, folks who were there in, in Corinth. They had a very strong Jewish population. And he said, you guys think you're special because you're Hebrews? So am I. You think you're a great Israelite? So am I. I'm a child of Abraham just like you. I'm educated. I, I served under Gamaliel, the most respected rabbi. I became a Pharisee. I have power and prestige among the Jewish people. Whatever you say about yourself, I can top. And all the time he's doing this, he said, I'm crazy to boast like this. I'm out of my mind to talk like this because this isn't how I am. But you need to understand that if you want to match strength for strength, I'm as good as any of you. See, he knew he had to get their attention. And he couldn't do that out of weakness. He had to do it out of strength. And then he decided to top them and go one better. As you get into 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about an experience he had 14 years earlier where he was caught up to the third heaven. Do you know where third heaven is? Right after second heaven. You know, you know, I just, I'm just seeing if you're with me or not. I'm just checking. See, you got to understand their, their frame of mind. First heaven is like the sky. The blue sky, the fluffy clouds, the air we breathe. That's first heaven. Second heaven is outer space. That's the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. Second heaven. So what do you think third heaven is? Heaven, heaven. God's heaven. Uh, paradise, they often called it in the Jewish culture. So Paul is saying 14 years ago, I'm not sure if it was a, a vision that seemed so real or if I was actually like Star Trek style teleported to heaven. But I was caught up to third heaven and I saw the most incredible things you will ever see. It had been 14 years and he never mentioned it. Paul is a much better man than I am. I got to tell you folks here and now, if this week I get caught up to third heaven, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, next week's sermon's going to change quickly. Um, I mean, my, <laughs> my message is going to become how I got caught up to third heaven. And I'll tell you all about it. I'm going to be stopping people on the street. Hey, hey, did you hear about me? Third heaven, baby. I was caught up to third heaven. Oh, you haven't been there? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. 
I'm going to write a book to heaven and back. Does that look good? To heaven and back. And the subtitle is going to be why God chose me, not you. Yeah, yeah. I'm just telling you, I get caught up to third heaven. It's going to be a big old deal, and you are going to hear about it for probably the next six months. But here is Paul. He has this, this extraordinary experience. And for 14 years, he doesn't say a word. And then when he does mention it, he mentions it just to say, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> but that's where our, our scripture reading comes in. I'm, I'm in 2 Corinthians 12, and uh, I want to read 7 to 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. He had just said, I had this experience. And then he starts in in verse 7, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now when Paul says he had a thorn in the flesh, he doesn't literally mean he was working in his rose garden and got a thorn in his flesh. He is using that as a symbolic term for some type of infirmity or ailment. And he doesn't identify it. Some think it might be poor eyesight. Uh, you know, on the road to Damascus, when Christ appeared to him, he was blinded. And some think that when Ananias restored his sight, it wasn't completely restored. He, he had poor eyesight after that. Paul often says, uh, you know, he talks about those who wrote his letters for him. Um, and he talks about what big letters he writes with. So apparently there was some kind of eye problem. Um, it could have been some kind of chronic illness. He, he's mentioned several times that uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, traveled with him um, and, and treated him. Uh, I had a professor with a great sense of humor who told us in class one day he thought Paul's thorn in the flesh was the fact that he was married. <laughs> a theory that I want you to know, I don't believe... No. <laughs> Dumb idea. I didn't laugh at the joke either. Well, I, I probably did, but... Um, so, I mean, the bottom line is we don't know. We don't know what it was, and I think that's on purpose. I think Paul doesn't identify his thorn in the flesh, because when you read that, he wants you to be able to relate to it and put your thorn in the flesh in there. What's going on with you? What, what ailment or infirmity are you dealing with? What, what relationship struggle do you have? What financial debt are you trying to crawl out of? Uh, you know, what physical problem, what, what chronic persistent problem do you have to deal with in your life? 
That's your thorn in the flesh. And he wants us to be able to put that in there. Because what he's saying about his is true for you about yours. Three times he asked God, take it away. I mean, he had to be saying, look, Lord, I, I'm traveling all over. I'm preaching your gospel. I'm on the move all the time. I, I'm having a hard time doing what you want me to do with this problem, this thorn in the flesh. If you remove it, I can, I can move faster. I can work harder. I can, I can bring more people to Christ. I can start more churches. And, and God said, yeah, but no. We're going to leave it there. Because then you're going to start to operate out of your strength. And the more you operate out of your strength, you're going to do it without me. That's where he tells him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need to continue to accomplish my will and purpose in your life with your weakness. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now that is hard for us to understand. Power and weakness. How they work together. Let me tell you a story kind of in closing to hopefully drive that point home. This is back in, in Russia in the days of the Cold War. So back 50s, 60s. Uh, Christianity was illegal in, in this communist, atheistic country. And if you were a professing Christian and if you were public about that, or if you tried to distribute Bibles or do anything like that, you, at, at least you would be harassed. But then you could be arrested, you could be tortured, you could be killed. And so it was very hard for the church to exist. It was an underground church. And there was this elderly lady whose body was so... Uh, affected by MS that all she could do is use one index finger. The rest, the rest of her hands was useless. She couldn't walk. One index finger. And she used that finger to type on an old typewriter one letter at a time and translate God's word into Russian. Now, can you imagine sitting down with, with two good hands on a typewriter and typing the entire Bible repeatedly? I mean, that, that would be hard. Imagine doing it one letter at a time. But she did. She translated Bibles for the underground church. She translated other Christian literature. She did this for years and years. And one day someone asked her husband, aren't you mad at God? Aren't you bitter with God that he, your wife is so faithful, and yet he leaves her like that. And he got a smile on his face and he said, oh, you don't understand. He said, anyone else doing what she's doing would immediately be arrested, tortured, and probably killed. But because she's older and because she is so infirm, they don't consider her a threat and they leave her completely alone. They have no surveillance. They don't watch her. They don't pay any attention to her at all. If she were healthy, she could not do what she does. But it's in her weakness, in her sickness, 
that God is able to use her most powerfully. And what is true for her is true for us. Your ability to experience the full power of God's grace in your life is largely dependent upon your willingness to acknowledge your weakness and to give to God your weakness. For when you are weak, He is strong. Let us pray. God, I thank you so much for the wonder of your grace and that your grace is made most effective and powerful in our weakness. We, we try so hard to keep our weaknesses unknown. We don't even want to acknowledge them ourselves. And yet when we do, and when we turn them over to you, your grace is able to use them in a powerful way. So Father, take our weakness and turn it in to your glory by your grace. And may we know that your grace is greater than all of our weaknesses. For it's in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you.